0: What is up, folks? It's the Emulsion Podcast, hosted by chef and media producer Justin Khanna, That's me. The Emulsion is a result of my desire to educate, share, and personally keep myself up to date on stories stirring up the restaurant industry. I also sit down and interview remarkable professionals that are making exciting moves in their own unique and creative ways. Fine dining, chef swaps, new gear, critiques, professional performance, balance, hospitality, as well as the occasional rabbit hole are all just a few of the topics we get into here, with the goal, of course, being that you take off your headphones or get out of your car feeling smart more inspired or more connected than when you pressed play whereas the long ad read you will not find that here because the growing gang of amazing folks on patreon make it possible for me to hit the publish button every single thursday and i'm eternally grateful for their support but more on that after the show why, hello there, folks. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Emulsion Podcast. Today's guest, Vincent Kazuhito Lau. Yes, he has a full name. Everybody calls him just Vincent, or at Vincent Saves Knives on Instagram if you want to check him out there. He posts a lot of great photos from his job, which is the sharpener at Corin in New York City, which most of you know I've shouted out a bunch. It's like a OG culinary school staple for me. I used to go there and do a bunch of we we, we get into a lot of it into this video where I explain why I love Corin so much and why I think that the educational content they put out, the imports of products that they decide to carry and curate is so important for even new culinary school students all the way up until you're owning your own place, you're an executive chef, and you just want to get a new toy to kind of play around with. In addition to getting Vincent's backstory, I also talk about some common knife misconceptions, why Japanese knives are so expensive, and so much more. This interview is really inspiring for me to put out because I spent a lot of time at Corin have a lot of respect for those guys and to sit down with someone who plays such an integral role at that place and gets to see all the orders come through and serve such a vital role in the community that is, actually sharpening these tools that we use every single day is really really special and I was really honored to sit down with Vincent. I really respect his opinion a lot. Maybe you're coming from there because you saw his video already but if you haven't gotten enough of Vincent during this 45 minutes that I spend with him, Alex French Guy Cooking actually did a really fun video with him that has a really awesome story arc as most things that he does. Shout out to those of you that actually came to Corin on the Chef's Night and got some FaceTime with me. It was awesome to meet some of you in person as well as even if you just submitted a question on Instagram Instagram or Twitter for me to ask Vincent to find out on what those answers were. Let's go to the interview. The first question I really wanted to dig into is why your account is called Vincent Saves Knives. Like, what what about saving a knife really gets you?
1: Okay, so you know, for me, it's just like a knife is a is a tool that is going to make the life of a chef easier. And when you have a sharp knife, your job goes faster. You're there's less frustration, and uh, you know, some knives need saving. <laughs> Right, um, a lot of times knives accidentally get dropped, or you know someone misuses it, mistreats it. There can be dings and dents and, and chips in it. And you know by showing that you can fix it and take care of your tool and repair it, you know it, it just it's something that you know I, I find um, you know very a lot of joy out of doing. But behind the scenes, the reason why my na- uh, my account is called Vincent Saves Knives is Wendy, our uh, showroom manager slash marketing manager. Took my phone, and created Vincent Saves Knife. Nice really, and was like here you go, you're gonna do Instagram now. So that's the behind the scenes, and it I think it really shows what I do and what I enjoy doing very well. So she captured that in one phrase, which is awesome. But uh, that's the behind the scenes.
0: How how has that been though? Because not going for it by yourself, how has your relationship with Instagram kind of changed? pre and post having an account
1: so I never used to use uh, Instagram that much like I have a personal Instagram but I, I never really use it or posted on it you know I, I check chefs that I follow here and there mm. but uh, after she's made it uh, it's been fun it's been a lot of fun you know I, uh, I I get a lot of engagement with with the customers and clientele and you know people message me from literally all over the world uh, you know and it's it's been a lot of fun I enjoy posting different things I enjoy sharing different aspects of my day. So I I like it.
0: Do you feel like the chef community in particular is different than other kind of sectors of the internet? Because I feel like some of them uh, are asking kind of specific technical questions as opposed to just wanting to follow you because you're posting uh, flashy knives.
1: Well, you know, so I think the chef or culinary industry in general is just filled with nice, great people. You know, I mean, all of us are in the hospital industry, right? Mm. Chefs especially, you know, they, they, they know how to be nice and they know how to be, you know, just appreciative and great. So I, you know, I think we're always very lucky as Corin. You know, we have – we deal with the best people. Mm. Rarely do we have any uh, engagement from negative people, so.
0: Do you have any horror stories of trolls that you've encountered? Because they exist.
1: Yeah, one, <laughs> once in a while, Yeah. Know, um, sometimes Sometimes uh, – actually, I was telling uh, Darren over there Yeah. Uh, some of my stories. Um. But uh, sometimes I, I'm very honest. Yep. So if I feel that this knife is out of my league, for example, I've never seen this knife. I don't know what it is. We get knives from all over the world. Right. If I'm uncomfortable with ner- uh, working on a knife, I'll I'll tell them mm. straight up. I'll say, you know, I'm so sorry. I don't know this knife. I don't know the construction. I don't feel comfortable with working on it because I don't want to uh, provide a service that's not up to my standards. Number one. Number two, I don't want to mess up your knife. Right. And uh, most people, very understanding. Sure. Sometimes people can be like, why not? You know, I see you doing everything for other knives. Why can't you do it for me? And I'm just trying to explain. I don't want to mess up your knife.
0: It comes from a good place. Yeah. What are some... I mean, my audience would hate me if I didn't ask you. What are some of those characteristics that make a knife not okay for you to save? So <laughs> "Quote I've, unquote.
1: I've had a horror story with a, a custom knife. So custom knives can be... Um, you know, a professional or a custom knife can be someone made it in their backyard. And, you know, depending on how skilled they are, the forging process, the metal can be very weak. So I've actually had a knife snap as I'm working on it. On, That's on, so dangerous. Yeah. On on uh, machinery. Jeez. And it flew by my face. It cut my cheek.
0: No and, way. No,
1: it's serious. Um I had this uh slice down my cheek. It just barely grazed it so I didn't get you know, injured. That's seriously. terrifying. So that day I was like, I'm going to take a break. You know, I was like, I, I'm going to sit out for a, for a day. Um, but that was the scariest thing I've ever, you know, encountered. And since then I'm very aware of customizing. And again, you know, if I feel uncomfortable, I will straight up say, I, I'm sorry, I can't work on your name. Sure.
0: Okay. So now for a customer, for Anybody listening that's like, okay, now I wanna be super cautious about any knife that I buy, what are some of those things that you recommend people look for to make sure that you don't get something that you wouldn't be able to or is gonna affect their sharpening process, right? It's really hard to say, but in general, for
1: me, I think a custom knife it's best sharpened by the maker. Mm. You know, they know what they did to the knife and what went into construction, what went into it, what the knife can or can't take. Mm. You know, for me I'm going in blind. And most knives are made very well. You know, I've I've worked on some beautiful custom knives that it's a pleasure. But again, there are some that are are less uh, less than par. So, you know, it's hard to say. But but custom knives are the ones that I'm always wary of.
0: Sure. Um, do you want to share what's happening uh, as our ambient noise right now? Because you did bring Darren up yeah. here.
1: So. Uh, Darren is from Copenhagen, and uh, he works at a store out there that provides tableware, kitchen—well, kitchenware, I believe. Maybe. Yeah, and uh, he does the sharpening over there. Wow! So I met him about a year and a half ago um, when they started to carry some of our our knives, and uh, yeah, so we worked. We talked about sharpening a little bit, and this week he's visiting so that he can go over some sharpening with me, and uh, you know, take that service to to Europe and uh, Denmark.
0: Love it. I distinctly remember coming in here when I was in culinary school, and I would stay in the shop longer than I was probably welcome, watching the DVDs you would have playing okay. downstairs, yeah. just so that I could get some insight into sharpening. And I really just want to thank you for all the educational material that you guys put out I because really it's that. that's like um, I know for chefs that you know can't, either can't can't stomach the the finance of bringing in their knives to get them sharpened and they or they just have the the they want to take the personal ownership of sharpening it themselves to have it's it's very intimidating when you're first starting and I learned in my culinary school's bathroom <laughs> by <laughs> some other guy who knew how to sharpen and had a stone good enough to just let me practice and so um, I wanted to inquire instead of being secluded and just spending time working on the craft, when did the desire to want to educate people come from for you?
1: So, um, this is another situation where like someone kind of forced it upon me and then I like loved it. So my mentor, Chiharu Sugai, he's the, uh, one of the founders at Corinne. Sure. Fortunately, he passed away last year, yeah. but, um, he started this, uh, business with Kawano, the owner. And, uh, you know, when they started carrying knives in, in the states, there was a lot of issues where people would uh, complain that Japanese knives are too delicate and you know they they chip and they're they're too fragile. So he started the service, but soon thereafter realized that well, the service is not just enough. Right, you got to educate people on why these knives are chipping. Well, Japanese knives are more for precision, more delicate. Um, so he started to do these. Uh, educational tours where he would go to restaurants and hotels and and really teach that. So one day he, I guess, didn't feel like going. So he's like, Vincent, you're on. And I was just like, wait, what? And I'm not ready for this. I don't know. He's like, yeah, you'll be fine. Just go and do it. So that was the first time.
0: And how long had you been working with him prior? Oh, uh,
1: this was about point. maybe like two years in. Okay. Yeah, so I've been sharpening. At that point, I was sharpening for maybe about a year, a little over wow. a year.
0: Wow. And just like teach someone now.
1: And it was just like see someone. Yeah. So we went out to a restaurant on the Upper West Side, and I was shivering. I was stuttering. It was so scary. But uh, you know, as I repeated this and do this process, I started to really love it because how much the chefs appreciated it, and uh, you know how much they were really into into learning. Um, the other aspect of it, which I take pride in now, especially was um, so I'm I'm half Japanese, half Chinese. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I, take pride in my cultures and when I was little, people would ask me, Oh, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I would say, I don't know, but I can speak Japanese. I can speak English. Um, I want to use that. And, uh, my family was in the restaurant industry. They own several restaurants in the city.
0: Where did you grow up here? Yeah. In Manhattan. Love it.
1: So, you know, food and restaurants have been very dear to my heart. Mm. So when I started doing this, I was like, wait, I'm using Japanese to learn myself. Uh, In terms of sharpening, I go to – I learn from my teacher. I learn from craftsmen in Japan in Japanese. Then I'm using my English. I'm translating that and sharing it with you know, chefs in this country, right? Interesting. And food, I love food. Yep. Um, Restaurant industry, I love. So, like, everything kind of fell into place for me. Yeah. And at that point, I'm like, this is what I enjoy doing. This is what I do, and this is awesome.
0: Sure. Yeah. That's incredible because to hear – for someone to probably hear that you were nervous at one point to give that education and now you're on BuzzFeed and making videos with Corin and all that stuff. what what Have there been any resources that have helped you or do you find that it's just repetition, repetition? It's, uh, put the reps in. <laughs> I
1: think it's a lot of it is repetition but yeah. also being confident in my work. And your knowledge so, base, right? Yeah, so the more I uh, sharpened, the mm. more I got better at sharpening, the more confident I felt and then I was able to translate that into these uh, you know demonstrations and, and videos you know so at first when I was nervous I found that it was because I wasn't confident in my skills yep. but as I got better I felt more confident and then the other thing is the feedback I get I mean all these you know chefs and cooks and students they're amazing they're amazing people like yourself mm-hmm. you know you give me this positive feedback and I feel like oh wow you know what I do is worth it what I do it makes can make a difference for others so I really want to you know, better myself so that everyone else can, you know, learn from that too.
0: It's not just speaking for me when I say that you, what you put out is very, very helpful. So don't, don't stop that. I don't know if there's, I mean, I know you guys have this all built out now and it's amazing that you guys can shoot, like you have a space to shoot now. Yeah, I know. I'm
1: very excited. This space used to be our office. Yep. Uh, I know you guys can't see it, yeah, but yeah, yeah. this space used to be our office. We kicked them out now this is a private kitchen where I can do my classes so we have hands-on sharpening classes Mm. we can shoot we can do this interview so it's nice to have the space get into
0: that a little bit with the the demos at restaurants because I feel like some people that follow Corin probably see you at different places and you know well-regarded places where you come in tell tell me a little bit about what happens when you go into a restaurant
1: so um you know a lot of times it's we get invited by these uh, executive chefs or, um, you know, anyone's in charge of coordinating something, we'll get invited out to uh, just do a quick demo or a lecture on knife sharpening for the cook, for the staff. Mm. Um, When we do this, it's a very short kind of thing where I go over the real basics and they're able to ask me questions and, and really see proper sharpening up front and up close. At the same time, we bring products. Uh, we're, you know, our goal isn't necessarily to sell, sure, but we're bringing the product so people can see what's out there. They can hold. They can mm-hmm. feel. Um, a lot of times we go out of state. We go to Chicago, Miami. Uh, we've been to Minneapolis. And a lot of these cities don't have knife shops. They don't have a chance. They can buy online, but they don't have a chance to feel and hold before totally. they buy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, by us bringing everything to them, they're able to, even if they're not interested there and then, which is fine. We want them to hold these knives and get an idea of what they're like mm. and give them an opportunity to, you know, see and feel.
0: So how many knives will you typically bring when you do something like this?
1: <laughs> we would bring a lot. So the most we brought was like six suitcases worth. Jesus. We just filled it up. Um, we're just lugging it. We check it in the airlines. Mm-hmm. and Yeah. Generally, it's okay.
0: (laughs) Do you do you always come back with six suitcases full, or do you find that most of them get sold when you do that?
1: Um, When we bring six, you know, we're not expecting to sell six suitcases, but we'll sell a good amount. And uh, we we bring a lot of sharpening stones as well. Yeah, super heavy. It's the best feeling when we sell out on stones because it's so much lighter to bring home. That's amazing.
0: Do you? I mean. I know there's probably a ton of people listening there. Like, I live in a city or town where there's no place to get nice knives. Do you, um, I always advocate for people to get it in their hands, but, um, I know you guys are super small, but is that have there been other cities that you guys have looked at to do any expansion or?
1: Yeah, I mean, we try, um, but it has, you know, it it does take up a lot of our resources a lot of time too, so.
0: And you just expanded here, right? Like, getting this floor and then the new warehouse and all that stuff.
1: Um, so, every time I go away, um, you know, sh- sh- service is on pause because mm-hmm. I'm not here. So, mm-hmm. it, it does take up a lot. So, we try to, you know, make the, make the most out of each trip. So, generally, when we go, we go to places that we can fit in and there are more uh, opportunities to do these demonstrations. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, generally Chicago, Miami, uh, we've gone to LA, San mm-hmm. Francisco, bigger cities. Yep. Um, yeah, that's typically where we go. But
0: sure. Do you um – um? find that the the chefs there are able to connect with the products that you're producing or or it's just so like uh new to them that they aren't it it requires a little bit more selling from your part um generally nowadays
1: people know japanese knives to a point where yeah, I, I, there's not much more we need to do than really show them, and they're already excited, mm. knowing that we're coming, knowing that we're going to be there. They're already excited, and so when they get the feel, you know, obviously we sell them products, and we we want to explain it to them, right? So we're explaining steel and you know bevels and handles and all that kind of stuff. But generally, the enthusiasm enthusiasm is already there.
0: Let's get into what are some common misconceptions that you see? Cause there's a lot of bad knowledge floating around out there. So when you see someone ask questions where you're like, where did you get that from? <laughs> Cause a lot of times, I mean, that can be frustrating when people are getting this knowledge that's ultimately hurting this product that they spent a lot of money on. And so I, I can only imagine that you part of your crusade is to kind of remedy that.
1: Uh, I would say one of the biggest things is, um, so we talk about ratio a lot. Yes. So, some knives are symmetrically sharpened some knives are asymmetrically sharpened and the ratio we indicate saying 50 50 70 30 Mm 80 20 90 10. sometimes people mistake that for the angle so they'll be sharpening at a 70 degree angle on one side and a 30 degree angle on the other side and that's very steep that's gonna ruin ruin your (laughs) knife and uh, i've seen that many times (laughs) yep um so That's one of those, okay. You got to ratio and angle very different. Right. That's a big one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What about um, people that think that Japanese knives are always better?
1: Um, You know, I think that every knife has its purpose, right? There are German knives that are very great. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, they're good for more, I would say, robust tasks. Japanese knives can be a little bit delicate if you're working with bigger cuts or you know you're doing rougher things yeah so german knives have their place japanese knives have their place Mm. and uh it's really a matter of finding a knife that suits
0: your needs in my opinion uh there was a few questions i'm like glossing over these things that people directly answered on uh asked on instagram so i want to make sure that we're getting to those such a good party last night um okay so sai.chef asks what makes japanese knives so expensive Which isn't always the case, right? You guys have a lot of knives that are sub $100. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, So that's a misconception I would say. There are a lot of knives that are very, very expensive. Mm. But that doesn't mean all of them are. We have knives sub $100, definitely. But generally, what makes knives more expensive, Japanese knives, they're produced on a much smaller scale than the ones that we work with. Um, Mm. I've visited some of the factories. I would say the average is about 10 employees in the factory producing all these knives. Wow. And when we talk to them, we say, oh, you know, do you want to expand ever? Do you have any plans to increase production? And most of them, if not all of them, say no because they want to maintain the quality. Um, So, yeah, that's why they can only produce so much, which causes it to obviously cost a little bit more. Other thing is the amount of care that goes into each knife. I uh, got the opportunity to visit Misono.
0: Yes. Where is that located? That's in Seki, Japan. Got it. Got it.
1: And what I saw there made me go, wait, so you're only charging this much? Uh Because the amount of care they go – when they – so these knives are stamped out. They stamp it out. They inspect every knife. Then they start to polish. Then they inspect again, make sure everything's straight, everything's – there's no imperfections. Then they um, temper it. Then they inspect it again. So literally every step of the way, they're checking for any imperfections, any any flaw. And if there's any flaw – it's its kicked off the line,
0: and that—that that not only uh, decreases your margin because it's you know waste, but it's also a lot of man hours.
1: It is inspecting, right? Um, so what I and a lot of times people actually don't realize this is knives have to be rested. Interesting, kind of like a wine. Sure. So once the temp, uh, the metal is tempered and everything, they have to rest it because it needs to settle down. It's kind of like a wine; it needs to be aged. So. A knife actually – yeah, it starts – if left alone, if you try to, you know, create a knife right away, it's going to warp very easily because – The it, edge will curve
0: and – edge a curve yeah.
1: and the humidity, the temperatures will wow. affect it. So mm. you need to let it rest. Mm-hmm. So a knife from start to finish may take months. Sure. And, you know, again, after seeing all that, you, I learned a new respect for these knives and yeah. really understood, like, okay, it makes sense that it costs $150 in some cases more. But right. I'm like – That's it? (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, there's also a lot of people who see single bevel versus uh, (sighs) like an asymmetrical edge or asymmetrical edge, and that causes a lot of intimidation or questioning why. Because even for you, sharpening a single bevel knife versus like a Western style with, you know, a symmetrical edge is a totally different ballgame, right? Absolutely. Um, a single bevel knife is is some of the sharpest knives that you'll encounter.
1: Um, traditionally, that's what you was used in Japan, and uh, you know Japanese cuisine is about the ingredient. Hmm. You know flavors are never like bold and spicy or anything like that. It's really about enhancing the flavor of the ingredient itself. So by having a sharp knife. You do minimal damage to the cell structure of the ingredient. So let's say you cut an onion, right? You do less damage to the cell structure, less tears. Mm. Let's say you cut fish; it's a clean cut. Discoloration slows down, and uh, freshness is preserved. You know, so some of these single bevel traditional Japanese knives are some of the sharpest, but they are very task oriented, and they're very difficult to sharpen.
0: You have to cut differently with them too, right? You can't do. A harsh, you know what I mean? Yeah, chop into the board. The, the
1: knife skill or technique involved in using these can be very different. Mm. Traditional Japanese knives are very delicate because they're so sharp. So, if you're aggressive with it, it can chip very easily. Um, you don't want to be rough with it. So,
0: what have been some resources that someone might be able to look at who wants to get into a single bevel knife? I mean, is it learning from someone who knows how to use one better than you? Or, I, I mean, I personally don't know if anyone's put out any content around.
1: Um. So, yeah, now I mean, nowadays you can find pretty much everything on YouTube <laughs> yeah, and correct. online. So there's uh, a lot of chefs that show showcase yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but there's also uh, books. Yeah. There's also – Any ones that you song. recommend? We have a book downstairs. Uh, I think it's called Japanese Knives. And yeah. It kind of shows the different styles of knives and uh, how they're used, what they're used for. Sure. Even our catalog, Corin's Knife Catalog. Got and it. They can check it online. Yeah. has basics, right? What the knife is for, what they look like. You know, stuff like that. So
0: I'll, I'll link that in the show notes for anyone that's um, curious. Full Metal Chef asks a question that I'm pretty sure you guys just put a video out about. He asks, um, what's your uh, personal favorite knife to use at home? I, I almost, posted on my Instagram that's what I my, thought. my knives. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, I just use a chef knife. I'm not a. I'm not a chef. Yep. I cook at home. I cook dinner, you know, three, four times a week. Mm-hmm. So I use a standard chef knife. That's my everything knife. Yep. And I have a fairly cheap knife. I have a $100 Togiharu yep. um, molybdenum. Got it. I don't need it to hold its edge forever. You know, I, I don't use it that much. So yep. that works beautifully for how, me.
0: How, I mean, I would... I hate myself if I didn't ask. How often do you find yourself sharpening your knives yeah, from home? I'm a little home. embarrassed to say <laughs> <That's> that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I haven't sharpened my knife. Can't in, like, just
0: throw it in the line. Like you got, you got enough knives going the on the stones. Is,
1: so I don't cook that much. Right? Yeah. So even if it's a softer steel, it's still sharp. Sure. I haven't sharpened my knife in close to two years. Wow. But I can cut my uh, tomatoes. Sure. I can cut my chicken skin. Yep. You know, it's still good. So that's amazing. It's, it's a little embarrassing, but well, I haven't sharpened my knife. I in mean, two if years. it works, I had
0: a chef once who asked me to sharpen his knives because it wouldn't cut a cryovac bag like it wouldn't cut a plastic bag uh that was that was rough um this is an interesting question because i'd be curious to hear your opinion the caron berry asks what's your opinion of the new wave of chinese knives coming out
1: you know what um it's scary in the, the sense that they're so good nowadays you know um it's not quite there yet in terms mm-hmm. of steel quality, in sure. terms of like the details and stuff. But uh, they're they're. You know, I mean, I would say they still make great knives. Yep. Just like everything, right? In electronics or whatever it is, the Chinese people will take the knowledge and then copy it and then do a great job at sure, it. Sure, sure. So um, you know, Japanese. I think the Japanese knives, the makers that I, I work with and I talk to, you know, they're they're wary of it. Yeah. But for now, you know, I think the 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 experience that the Japanese forgers and makers have still will trump the Chinese knives for now. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think a lot of people get caught up in being either overly romantic about Japanese knives or being too dismissive of Chinese knives mm-hmm. because they have this bad association with the made in China. It's going to be cheap. It's yeah. not going to be high quality. But like you're saying, you're, we're seeing a lot of really high quality stuff coming out.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, we, as uh, so i'm both i'm chinese and exactly. japanese so i'm exactly. torn right yep, yep um so yeah but i think the japanese community the knife community knife makers they're mm. definitely wary of it yeah. they're aware of what's coming and they're constantly making sure that they don't get too lax mm. which is i think a good thing you know competition it, helps it competition, everybody exactly mm. uh you know, so the japanese knife industry they've been around for years and years and mm. there's a lot of older generations yes. working and, you know, if they get too complacent, mm. you know, we don't get the good knives, right? Sure. And then if anything, compared to, let's say, you know, 50, 60 years ago, quality might not – might start to suffer. So yep. we want we want that – we want a little bit of fire under exactly. their, their feet.
0: What do you think Chinese knife makers could be doing better, if if, if at all? Mass like producing I would mm-hmm.
1: say. They're – yeah, I think it's a lot of things, right? Like resources, people power. Yep. But yep. they're able to produce – Good quality, a lot like like mass quantities. Yeah. Uh, again, quality I, in my opinion still not quite there yet. Yeah. But you know, for what they're doing, for the quality, the, the the scale that they're doing it at, you know, it's it's good.
0: It's good. Yeah. Um, yeah that's interesting because there's been a lot of. I've worked with some knives from Dalstrong, and I was not impressed. But then um, Kangshan approached me to do some work, and their knives have been impressive I mean, for they, what they just did something with Thomas Keller. They did, yeah. yeah, they did, and they've sent me a couple things from that line. And I mean, I have not, I didn't see the same quality issues with Kangshan stuff as I did with the Dalstrong stuff. Right, right. Um, but yeah, the scales that they're, I would be curious to see their numbers year over year of how many knives they ship out because right, it's just right. a little insane. Um, I do have a question from Twitter I want to open up here. I'm not really sure what this question means, but unspoken Bazinga asks, what's your opinion on knives with bolsters? So
1: a lot of German knives have a bolster that's fairly large and it almost acts as a finger guard. Mm -hmm. But when you're sharpening, that bolster gets in the way. Right. And uh, my opinion is I don't like that for several reasons. One, it makes my job harder. But the other thing is uh, as your knife wears down and the bolster gets in the way, The heel starts to notch, eventually causing it so that you can't cut very well. Um, Basically, the edge will float above the cutting board. You're not going to get that clean cut all the way to the bottom. So that's one. Uh, The other thing is Japanese chefs use that heel a lot. So when you're like coring an apple or something, you can use that heel to get in. Yep. Um, So the heel can be very useful. Mm. And with the the knife with a big bolster, you just can't use that. You just lose
0: that part of a knife. Sure. Um, is there anything that someone can do? I mean, I've noticed it on a few of my knives and this was just from neglecting to go sharpen all the way up towards the heel, but uh, between the tip and the heel, I feel like those can be some problem zones for someone sharpening their own. (laughs) Like those are the two areas.
1: Yeah. Um, it's a little hard to explain just by talking. Yeah. yeah, We need a visual. There are ways Mm -hmm. to kind of follow the shape of the knife, make sure that you're sharpening all the way to the tip and all the way to the heel. What happens is most people don't realize that the heel and the tip is actually not even touching the stone and it's not being ground. So totally. It's not being sharpened. Mm. Uh, so it's just being aware of making sure that it's touching the stone, make sure you're actually sharpening the tip. And, and the applying heel. pressure there. Yeah.
0: I think, uh, yeah, for any anybody that has a knife that's been sharpened quite a bit, I found a lot of value in doing like setting that edge on the board and then just kind of coming down to board level and looking – yeah. At where it's, you know, because if you can rock it back and forth in that way, it's probably, you're probably not getting the cutting edge that you want towards right. the heel, which is very, very frustrating. I always find that, found that really fascinating that uh, Japanese chefs in particular would use different zones of the knife for different purposes as opposed mm-hmm. to the Western way of having a chef knife, a petty knife, a slicer, a paring knife. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, um, so, I you know, again, I'm not a chef, but... When I talked to one of the chefs that actually came last year to visit us for one of our events, he was showing me a knife that he uses, his personal knife. And actually, he dulls part of the knife specifically because he uses it in a different manner. Wow. Um, some parts are razor sharp. Some parts are, you know, mildly sharp. And he, again, like you said, he uses each part of the knife differently. And uh, uh, what was funny was we asked him to use a brand new knife, and you know, we sharpened it all the way through it was all sharp he's like whoa this is so sharp I might I might mess up you know because he's so used to his method sure um, so that goes back to sharpening as a whole mm. you have to sharpen your knife to your needs yeah. everyone uses a knife differently totally everyone has specific things that they like or dislike so you know getting an edge that's personal to you is very important and and hopefully uh, you know people get to the point where they can do that for themselves like this Japanese chef that showed me this
0: totally. Do you have any stories that stand out of your family with restaurants growing up in that in that environment? What did, did you jump in in the kitchen? Were you at? Did yeah, you wash um, dishes? What was your? So,
1: when I was like five years old, my job was to take the order. Like when in the front at the uh, at the front desk, they'll take an order for a delivery or a pickup, and I'll take the ticket and run it to the kitchen. That was my first thing that I did, but. Um, over the years I've done bus boy I've done delivery boy I did waitering. I didn't get in the kitchen but I did some like the prep work um, I don't know like a lot of Asian uh, Americans that like, grew up in a uh, restaurant you know we peeled the uh, string beans and yep. snow peas and stuff like that so I did a lot of that yeah yeah but knives was not a thing that they were you know aware of and I, the culture of knives were different 30. Thirty years ago, sure, yeah, sure, 30 sure, something sure. years ago. Yep, yep. So, uh, you know, knives never crossed my mind until I started working at Corin. But Got now, it. when I go into a kitchen, I'm like, "What's everyone using?" Yeah, right? yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, what? I mean, that has to have had influenced your work ethic when you became an apprentice. Um, you know, I don't know if the restaurants affected it or anything like
1: that. In terms of the apprenticing, it's just I enjoyed it, so sure. that's why I got you know into it, and I really you know took the time to learn everything. You know, I think first and foremost, I just like doing this.
0: I think uh, were there any other what what else were you into as a kid? Were you a sports person? Video games?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I play video games. I like winter sports. I like ice skating. I like snowboarding. I go snowboarding a lot. Um, it's funny people ask me, "Can you sharpen your snowboard?" I'm like, "No, I don't know how to sharpen a snowboard." <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's so funny. I find that um things like these very tactile t- tactile things that have like the immediate feedback sometimes translate. So like I like cooking but I also like photography because it's taking something from a raw it feels like taking something from a raw product to a finished thing. And it's very in the moment and it's very like um, you can't manufacture it in any sort of way and so I, I find a lot of comparisons are there is there anything that stands out like that to you with knife sharpening or
1: well I also actually enjoy photography yeah, a lot too yeah. uh, so you know I, I actually I've been out of it for a little bit because I just haven't had time but sure. I you know, have my camera now I use my iPhone to yep. take pictures but I have Lightroom yep. you know I'm always editing I'm always doing things and if you guys check out my Instagram I try to do some nice pictures there too yeah uh, tweak on it all. yeah so, that's uh, linked up for everybody down below yeah
0: um, yeah, that's that's so awesome. What are some places in New York that you like to go eat?
1: You know, so I live in Jersey, <laughs> uh, so I don't come out in the city very often outside of work, just because uh, you know it's it's a little far. And uh, you know, in the weekends, I want to be like away in the suburbs and quiet and fresh air and mm-hmm. everything. But um, you know, I I I like like Veselka I went to the other day in the okay. East Village. You know, it's 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 one of my favorites. It's been one of my favorites. Comfort yeah.
0: food. Yeah.
1: Um, We've been doing this thing with uh, my coworkers. Like We do like a sushi night every now and then. Sure. So we'll go to different sushi restaurants. Uh, so we went to Ushiwakamaru. Love it. Uh, love it. Beautiful food there. We went to uh, Sushi by Bay recently. Whoa. So, Where's that? Uh, that one's on right by 14th Street.
0: Okay. Kind on of by Union Square. I'll have to check that out.
1: Yeah. So it's she's um, – Una, she is – Female sushi chef. which yep. in Japan you don't really see, but yeah, you know, she's awesome. Wow. So uh, shout out to her. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> totally,
0: totally. I um, yeah, I'm here until Friday, and I'm trying to. I met a couple people. La- I'm going to Junoon tonight. Oh, the, awesome. in, the one star Indian because he was here last night. The chef yeah, yeah, was yeah. here last night, so I'm very excited to check that out. But that, it,
1: that's one of our goals. You guys, I want you guys to mingle. exactly. At the, at the I met so many
0: awesome people last night. I was curious to ask if you, with all this education and stuff. When is the time for you to take on an apprentice, if one at all? If that's something that you're,
1: um, you know, so we're, I mean, it's it's a dedication, right? So yes. We want to make sure we have the right person, uh, and we don't want to just teach it to just any random person. Exactly. You know, we want someone that's going to be committed. Yes. Uh, you know, go on with it, mm. and, and stick with us, right? Yes. So, there are no plans right now. Um, aside from just they teach you going over basics, and then you know we got Darren here <laughs> and <laughs> Yep. Um, Helping out. Yep. But uh, uh, for now, there are no plans for that. Maybe in the future, that'll change. But the other thing is, I have a long way to go. I have to learn a lot more, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, these sharpeners in Japan, they've been doing it for their whole lives. Um, decades. Dec- decades, yeah. exactly. I've, I'm close to 10 years, yep. so I'm like small potatoes. Sure, sure,
0: sure. So what are some of those skills that you still have left to learn? Or what still intimidates you, I guess, with which sharpening?
1: There are a lot of traditional knives that still intimidate me there mm-hmm. are very specialized knives in japan um such as uh, eel knives or soba knives or uh hamo, which is a conger eel it's a very specific bony fish and mm-hmm. there's a knife specifically for that yeah so there are many knives that just being here and i don't get exposed to as much and uh i i just haven't worked on as much the other thing that intimidates me is left-handed knives totally um Western knives, no problem, lefty or righty, but traditional Japanese knives, I'm right handed. Yep. And left handed knives just are very, very challenging for me. Mm-hmm. And for makers in Japan and sharpeners in Japan as well. So, sure, sure. Yeah, just left handed knives, oh, uh, nightmares.
0: So, what, is, what is, do you see to be the highest impact way for you to learn these skills? Is it to go to Japan? Is it to just buckle down and do it here because that's the way that you learn best?
1: I think uh, it's important to go to Japan and talk to these uh, craftsmen in Japan and, mm. and see how they do it and and uh, you know get their tips and advice. And I'm lucky that I get to talk to a lot of them. Sure. You know whether it's Suisen, he's Misono, these makers, some of the best. Yep. But bottom line is, you got to get your hands dirty. You got to do it. You got to feel it. And without doing that, I can listen all I want. I can talk to them all I want. I'm never gonna be able to do it. Sure,
0: sure. So. I want I want to go into two things as we start to wrap up here because you spent time as an apprentice and there's a lot of people listening who are at their first line cook job. They just got into culinary school. Maybe they just started an apprenticeship in Europe. So what are some pieces of advice that you think make a good apprentice or made you a good ap- apprentice?
1: So you have to pay attention to everything that you know. whoever's teaching you is saying because sometimes they're not necessarily trying to teach you that specific thing but they'll say something they'll say a phrase in the moment and that can be the most important thing that you will take away you know there are still things that my mentor told me just you know casually and now I go oh that's what he meant oh that makes so much sense now and that is you know so important it's so funny how that happens
0: yeah it's so true yeah
1: <laughs> So, you know, pay attention to everything that they're, they're saying. Absorb everything, mm. you know, take notes because you never know when the important information is going to be there. You know? Absolutely.
0: Um, what, how do you find that balance between asking more questions and under, you know, just going back to the, to the stones in that, in that way? Do you know what I mean? Like uh, getting more of the conceptual stuff versus the practical hands-on how do you find that balance?
1: You got to take the conceptual and practical, but you have to apply it, and you got to do it. Yeah. So you know there are things that practical. You know, he, I was taught things. I thought I understood it, and until I did it, until I, you know, there again, there's like five, six years later. I'm like, now I truly get it. So got it. You know, you you got, they go hand in hand, in my opinion. Yeah, right?
0: yeah. Does anything stand out as specifically as one of those things that you? you was told to you while you were an apprentice that um just clicked now, if if anything is top of mind? Um
1: well putting me on the spot is hard yeah, to yeah, say Yeah, right yeah, that's now, okay. But, we can come back to um, it. Yeah, I can't think of something right now, but that's there okay. have been moments here and there that's totally. like, oh wow, I thought I understood back then, but sure. no way.
0: So I'm gonna flip that now to ask a question that I ask pretty frequently, which is what do you think that either knife sharpeners or chefs could be doing better? to help the next generation? Because it's easy to be dismissive of someone who wants to, who, who seems like that, you know, eager beaver, asks too many questions, doesn't have enough of a foundational knowledge. But, I mean, I think you and I both are in the same camp that education is so important. So if there's someone who is, you know, a little bit reserved in sharing their knowledge, what would you say to them?
1: Hmm. I mean, like, I, you know, for me, I've, I've had different students. I've worked with different chefs, different cooks. I'm trying to, you know, be open with everyone, you know. I, I, I try to just make sure that everyone gets an understanding and I take it easy. Everyone has their own pace, so mm. I'll try to adapt as much as I can so that it's easiest for the uh, the, the person learning. You know, that's kind of why my videos are the way it is. You know, I'm, I'm trying to make it as simple as possible so that it appeals and is accessible to most people.
0: Yep, yep. Okay, couple rapid-fire questions. Do you have a goal to open a shop? Do you want to become a master sharpener and go back to Japan? What is it? Do you have an end goal in mind right now for yourself in your career?
1: Um, so the corn very dear to my heart. Absolutely. Um, You know, I, I, so the owner here is actually a close family friend. So I grew up here. This was my playground. (laughs) That's amazing. So, and it's very dear to my heart. My goal is to, you know, take what my mentor left behind Yes. and make sure that you know, he set a great foundation for me. Mm-hmm. So I wanna take that and run with it, you know, build upon it and and share it with, with everyone in, in this country, you know. I I wanna be that person, that bridge between Japan and here. Yeah. So that, you know, everyone has access and, and, and the chance to learn this Japanese tradition.
0: What's the first thing that you do when you get back when you get back to Japan?
1: Well, I haven't been in a while. The first thing I do is I uh I grab something to eat because yeah, I yeah. love the food there. You, know, you go to 7-Eleven and it's delicious. So. so what do you
0: get at 7-Eleven? Because I, I did a um, – it was like the first half of a podcast I did with a friend of mine because I was in Japan in February or March okay. and we did a whole like – Fill the table with. Uh, I think we went to Lawson's, not Seven Eleven, but you know, same difference. So, and we just uh, ate everything and did a rundown of kind of like everything that we ate. Amazing. So what's your what's your go to? I
1: mean, everything's good, but an onigiri yes. is the rice balls. Yeah. You know, you gotta grab one, right? Totally. You just go run in. You know, you get off the plane, you're hungry, you you want something to eat, you yeah. want a snack, just go into a convenience store, grab a rice ball, and you're good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome.
0: And then of the kind of Japanese dining experiences between you know a ramen place where there's you know walls between you and the next person or you know a very high-end kaiseki meal or sushi counter what is your preferred you know there there's no it's a blank check
1: i i mean you know high-end food is great but in japan and asia in general street food yeah by hands down you know cheap street food is where i like it so i like to find hole in the wall places that has like four seats you know by the train station you know where like old drunk men go and get like yakitori yeah yeah that's That's awesome um
0: do you have anything to impart on someone who might be interested who who does have a culinary background but i'm seeing more and more people who are taking chefs and having them go more on the knife side and if there's someone who's kind of in between do you have any advice for someone who might want to go from the kitchen to sharpening knives
1: I mean you got you got to have the I think you got to have the right kind of personality for. You, you got to have patience. Yeah. Japanese knives or knives in general, mm. um it, it can be dedication. It, it's going to take a lot of time and dedication to to really learn and and get it good and get get it right. So make sure that that's something that you you're really interested in and you love and you want to do, you know. I guess that's just like anything, but Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're going to kind of hesitate a little bit then Maybe not.
0: (laughs) It's just a different lifestyle, I think, for chefs where, you know, they spend all these hours in, you know, some would argue a very thankless position and to go to a field where you can directly see the impact that you're sometimes having on people. There's a knife sharpening store in Seattle that I interviewed the owner from and he basically told me that every single person that comes to work with him is an ex-chef. (laughs) <laughs> Which I think it's very, very interesting. Um, but We've had know. a couple of ex-chefs
1: here, too. Sure. But, uh, you know, I guess uh, some people like the, the hustle and bustle of the industry, mm-hmm. right? So, again, I think, uh, you know, if it fits you, then
0: go ahead. And you can find fulfillment in it. That's very yeah. important. If someone is thinking about making their first nice Japanese knife purchase, and they, you know, they don't want to spend tons and tons, but... What are some products that you guys have downstairs that you would, you know, point put people to?
1: Um, Suisin, Togiharu, mm-hmm. I would say those two are very accessible. Pricing-wise, uh, you know, they're, they can be sub-100. And some of my favorite. that's the ones that I use at home. Same. You know? So <laughs> Same. <laughs> uh, I think those are a great entry point. And even for professionals, I mm-hmm. think those are a very accessible, very good quality product.
0: Totally. Yeah. So I'm going to link everything for you guys down below um, in the description I highly recommend everybody watches all the videos that you guys are going to be putting out because it's just so much knowledge packed into free content. Just can't get over that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, totally. Um, is there anything that you want to leave people with? Anything that you want to like direct people to? Anything that you guys have coming up that you want to give a shout out I mean, to? We or? do
1: have a uh, Suisin event um, yes. um, in October. I believe it's the 26th and 28th. It's a Saturday and a Monday. Okay um the president of Suisin will be joining us and he's bringing some of you may know um master forger mr ikeda yes he does uh some of the Suisin uh tanru series he's the uh president of the knife association in sakai city so he's going to be coming and doing a talk on forging knives we're going to have workshops on uh knife polishing knife mirror finishing uh, we're gonna have a lot of special knives that Mr. Ikeda is forging just for this event. Wow! So uh, it's gonna be a fun time, and uh, if, you, if you're able to stop by, come by, you know, please do so.
0: I'll have links for that down for for everybody that needs to, to <laughs> is like totally geeking out about that right now. Uh, well, thanks so much for taking the time. This has been awesome, yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I I just appreciate everything you do. So thanks again. Thank you. We did it. You're in outro land now. Thank you so much. I appreciate your ears more than you'll ever know. Hey, by making it to the end, you're the type of person that I want to speak to directly. This little production is constantly growing. If you enjoyed this episode, if you like what I'm trying to do with this show and want to make sure more people can find us, a free way to help out that takes less than three minutes is to leave the emulsion a great review on iTunes. If you didn't enjoy this show, please also leave a review. I'm happy to take any constructive feedback you've got. If you want to learn more about supporting this show with your hard-earned cash, patreon.com slash justinkana is the place to do so. That. I've got tiers starting at just $1 per month. Let's say you just like being involved through suggesting stories to be covered or asking questions to my interview guests. You can stay up to date by following along on Twitter or Instagram. That is linked up in the description for your convenience or always available on justinconnor.com If you're on YouTube and listening, you can take this show on the go because this is available on all podcast platforms, including Spotify. And if you prefer video versions of things like my interview shows or the shorter intermezzo episodes and you're listening audio only, please check out my YouTube channel to see more of that. Now, as normal. Where I'd say my name is Justin Kana, and I hope you have a good one. But you've probably got another podcast episode to listen to, so I'm just gonna get out of the out of the way here. Excuse, excuse me, pardon me.